Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. G'day, everyone. Welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Your host, Lisa Tarmati, here. Today, I have one of my long-term friends and a, a guy who's had a massive influence in my life, both as a role model and as someone who's facilitated me with a lot of help with my books and so on. Um, he's a worldwide legend. He is Dean Canassis. He is the author of four books, and he has a new one out called The Runner's High, which I was excited to give me an excuse to chat to my buddy and see what he's been up to and to talk everything ultramarathon running. We talk a whole lot about getting older and ultramarathon running and the difficulties, and we talk about life in general and longevity and the beauty of the sport. Um, he's an incredible ambassador for our sport. He's done so much. He's brought so many people into the sport worldwide, and um, he's an incredible human being. He's actually stuck in lockdown in Australia at the moment, as we we were recording this um, and was about to do a race right around Australia with my other friend, Pat Farmer, another incredible human being. (laughs) These guys are just um, next level crazy. Um, And bloody COVID's ripped everything. So they're now down to doing a thousand mile race around a military base in Australia and New South Wales. But, you know, in true ultramarathon form, where there's a will, there's a way, and when there's an obstacle, you find a way around it, um, improvise, adapt, and overcome, as my friend Craig Harper always says. So that's what these guys have been doing. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Dean Carnassus. Um, without him, I wouldn't have my books. He is uh, a very generous and caring person, as well as being an incredible athlete. Um, before we head over to the show, just want to remind you, we have our Boost Camp live webinar series coming up starting on the 1st of September 2021. If you're listening to this later on, we will be doing these on an ongoing basis. And actually, we have a plan to set up a mastermind that goes the year long. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get organized, but that is our goal. We're all about helping each other upgrade our lives and be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. This one's called Boost Camp, this eight-week-long webinar series that Neil and I are doing. This is a live series where you hang out with us once a week for an hour and get a lot of great information, the latest science, the latest biohacking, the latest longevity, everything about mental toughness, resilience, everything that's going to basically upgrade your life and help you be a better human, the stuff that we've spent years and decades actually studying, learning, and doing. So I hope you get to enjoy this with us. You can head on over to peakwellness.co.nz forward slash boost camp. That's B-O-O-S-T camp, boost camp, not boot camp. We won't be making you run around doing anything. We're just going to be having wonderful chats and um, education, a lot of lectures and a lot of fun to be had along the way. And I think what's most importantly is you'll be networking with like-minded individuals. You know, they say that you the, you are the sum total of the five people that you hang out with most and uh, make those five people, or in this case, it'll be a few more, um, be some top quality people who are all on a mission the, the same as you are. So if you want to come and join us, that's a boost camp. 
We also have our epigenetics program. If you want to know all about your genetics and how to upgrade your life through your genes, understanding what your genes do, if you're dealing with a difficult health journey and you don't know where to go to next, this is a very good place to start. This is our flagship program that we've been running for years now. We've taken hundreds and hundreds of people through this program, and it's really uh, an incredible all-encompassing program that looks at your food, your your uh, exercise types, what time of the day to do different things, your mood and behaviour, and lots, lots more. So come and check that out at um, lisatamati.com and hit with the Work With Us button and you'll see our peak epigenetics program there if you're interested in doing that. Um, right now, over to the show with Dean Carnassus, who's sitting in lockdown in Australia. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, I have my very good friend and absolute legend of ultramarathoning, Dean Carnassus, with me. Uh, Dean, welcome to the show again. Repeat offender. Oh, it's so nice to be back on with you. Thank you for having me. We always have such lively conversations. I love it. We do, and I just absolutely enjoy your company. Whenever I've had the the chance to to spend a little bit of time with you, it's been absolute gold, whether it's been on the podcast or interviewing you or hanging out with you on the Gold Coast like we did last year. That was absolutely awesome. Um, Dean, you've just bought out another book, another amazing book called Runner's High, and that's why we had to get you back on (laughs) because I want to share about all this book. But before we get into the book, you are sitting in lockdown in Australia. Tell me what is going on there. <laughs> it's a long story, but it started with a, uh, a run across Australia with Pat Farmer. So from Western Australia to uh, the East Coast. And that was the original idea. It was 5,000 kilometers. And this was six months ago Insane. when the world was going in a better direction. And over the past six months, boy, that, that the world has done just the opposite. And, you know, we, we, like you, are a fighter, and we kept saying we're going to preserve this thing. Well, uh, the, the run across Australia got nixed to a run across New South Wales, a 1,000-mile run across New South Wales. And we kept thinking this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I boarded the plane. I flew to Australia with 10 oh. people on this huge jet. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, and when I get to Australia, I realize how bad the situation is here. And every day I turn on the news, I mean, it's getting worse. It's getting worse as I'm in quarantine. And then finally, Pat called me a couple days ago and said, you know, we can't do the thousand mile run now. We, you know, we, well, we can still do the thousand mile run. It's just going to be contained within a military base because we, we need to stay in our own bubble. And I thought, oh, <laughs> you've flown all the way from America to Australia to run around the military base. It sounds like a bit like the Antarctic stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. And not only to run, I mean, to sit in quarantine for two, to your point, I mean, I've been in a hotel room for 12 days now waiting oh to get God. out. Yeah. <laughs> That's like for someone like you, that you're just like me, obviously you're even more extreme than me. Um, that must be like torture. Like I, I just can't comprehend being in a, in a room. Like this must be awful for you. <laughs> Don't remind me. But, yeah, I mean, I am basically from the moment I get up, I'm staying active. You yeah. know, we both know that yeah. the importance of movement. So, you know, from the moment my head leaves the pillow, I'm, I'm not sitting down ever. I mean, even right now, I'm pacing back and forth in this small room. <laughs> I love it. You know, and I'm doing body weight exercises just constantly, at least throughout the day. 
Um, I, I used to, when, you know, if I was traveling and I was stuck in a hotel room somewhere in a dangerous city or whatever, I'd put on a, 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 a something running on TV and, and run along with them. <laughs> I remember doing the Boston Marathon in, in, in Budapest in a hotel room one day. <laughs> um, you know, just running on the spot, doesn't matter. <laughs> you got to do something to keep active. So I can imagine it being a bit of a, a bit of a mission for you. So my heart goes out to you and hang in there for two more days. Um, and and uh, all my love, please, to Pat Farmer. I love the guy. He's just amazing. Um, we got to hang out when we were in the big red run together, which I failed spectacularly, by the way. I had a back injury that um, put me out in the middle of that race. Um, but one of the big advantages of that run was actually getting to meet Pat Farmer because he's an absolute legend of the sport. Um, so, you know, you two together would be a really powerful combination. Um, so I'm really sad that that's not going to go right around Australia because imagine the the people that would have come out and enjoyed, you know, meeting you two. Uh, oh, and he, you know, he pulled, I, I, it's not, he, he pulled all the strings. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's very well connected yeah. um, in political circles and the Australian army is crewing for us. So we had 30 <laughs> army personnel and they're setting up a, a tent city every night, you know, to, and they're cooking for us. Um, it was, it was amazing. And, oh. But you know, COVID had other plans. Oh, <laughs> bloody COVID. Yeah. It's wrecking every damn thing. Hey, but you know, you know, as ultramarathon runners and, you know, Pat Farmer, who's, you know, run like from the North Pole to the South Pole people, like this is another absolute crazy guy. Um, you, you, when obstacle, find a way around it. Obstacle, find a way around it, you know, and that's what you guys are doing. And you, you have to be flexible. And th- th- that's a good lesson for for this day and age because, we're all having to be very, very flexible right now and adapt to a hell of a lot of change and being able to cope in different situations. So I bet you guys will just find a way through it and it will be another incredible story at the end of the day. I think the world needs it. And I mean, you know, as controversial as the Olympics were, I think it was a, a, an amazing thing. And, you know, it, it, it's so scaled back, right? But still, so, I mean, you know, oh, people so are stuck, stuck in their houses now. What are they doing? They're watching the Olympics and they're getting, you know, energized and they're, they're thinking about the future. So, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you, so Lisa. Important. I mean, it's, it's been a very emotional <laughs> journey for me to leave, oh. you know, a place where, where I live in California, we're, we're over 80% vaccinated. So to leave a place wow. where... There was no masks um, to come here. Is has been yeah, it's been eye opening and challenging. You should have had Pat go to you and run around California. That would <laughs> be better on you. I know. <laughs> you got it backwards. Reverse. <laughs> oh, um, but you like like I have no doubt that you guys will just find a way through and you'll make it epic anyway. You know, so you you, you get. Given lemons, you make lemonade. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, at least we're we're staying in military barracks, and we're you know we're basically running. Uh, you know, every day we're staying in the same place, so it's it's like going to be logistically a bit easier. easier. Yeah, yeah. Big piece yeah, of be- cake. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you guys just don't stop. You know, I um, I, I admire you guys so much, and you know, I, I was saying to you last year when we were in the Gold Coast. You know, I've I've hit I hit the wall at about forty eight. Like to be honest, I hit the <laughs> hit a pretty pretty head on full on wall with my body, and um, but you guys just came seem to keep going and going and going. I mean, I had mum as well, so I did have an excuse, guys, but um, uh, and <laughs> pretty high levels of stress in the last five years. Um, but uh, you you just seem to because how old are you now, Dean? If you don't mind sharing, you're, oh, 
Well, you, you know, when, when anyone asks me my age, I always say, are you talking about my chronological age or yeah. my biological age? Well, you cr- you're chronological because biological, you're probably like 20 years younger because I definitely am. <laughs> That's my take on it. <laughs> well, chronologically, I'm, I'm closer to 60 than 50. <laughs> exactly. And biological, yeah. have you actually ever had your biological age done? Because that's yeah, an interesting I've thing. had a couple. Well, there's a couple. Di- I mean, there's a yeah, lot there's of different ways you can test it. Yeah, and I've yeah. I've had it done a couple different times. And uh, one, I was about, um, I was in my late 30s. Wow. And then another, I was, uh, I was older than my actual chronological hey. age. Which but one it was, was po- that? Well, it was, it was, was it, it was post. It was post uh, ultra marathon. Oh well, yeah. So it was after a race, and we <laughs> we spoke about C-reactive protein earlier. Yes, yes. And inflammation, and yeah. that was that was one of the biomarkers that yeah. they used in calculating your biological age. Oh, and so when okay. I looked at the results, I said, "Hold it, you know, how did you draw? You know, how did you arrive at that figure?" And they gave me all the uh, the markers they looked at, and I said, "Well, look, this this is so this is wildly elevated because I just you know four days ago I just ran hundred miles." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and C-reactive protein. If you've just had a cold, if you just had like you know, we were talking about my dad before and sepsis, and his C-reactive protein was just like through the roof. So that's that that that, that makes sense um, that that would be out. Um, there's a Horvath cloud clock which is um the methylation markers which is a very good one um i've done um just one very basic one and i came out at 34 i was pretty pleased with that one um <laughs> i think i and, and you know at the end of the day i think if you can keep all your inflammatory markers like your homocysteine and c-reactive protein generally um under control keep your albumin levels high um that's so they are pretty good markers albumin is one that is looking at um it's a protein that your liver makes and that's a very important one and if your albumin starts to go too low that's one sign that things aren't going too good. So um, keep an eye on on, on all of those. I'm, I I love studying all this longevity stuff because I plan to live to 150 at least, um, and I don't think that that's unrealistic now. I mean, as long as I don't get run over by a bus or something. Um, uh, with the with the stuff that's coming online and the 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 technology that's coming, uh, we're going to be able to turn back the clock on, on some pretty advanced stuff already um, now. And I'm, my mum's on more than me because obviously her needs are a bit greater than mine. I can't afford for us much to be on all the top stuff. But um, yeah, there's I'm very excited. We don't need to age like our grandparents have aged. You know, we, we're going to have you know, and someone like you, Dean, who's lived a, a good healthy life um apart from pushing the hell out of your body and you know i'll talk about that in a sec but i, I think you know you've got the potential to live to 150 especially because you're greek i mean like you know <laughs> you come from well, my, uh, yeah, some stock my that, mom's that's from good. And my mom is from one of the the blue zones wow. an island called I- ikaria and i've been there and you know i've met ikaria the island she's from has the highest concentration of centenarians anywhere on earth oh my gosh so, Oh, so you're going to live to 200 then. <laughs> well, you know, the beautiful thing about these these people is that um, not only are they, are they above, you know, over 100, they they're, they still have a high quality of life. Exactly. Like they're still mobile. They're they're self-sufficient. Mentally and cognitively, they're, they're sharp as a tack. They're active. Um, you know, the, the one thing <laughs> that, that they have that, you know, we don't have the luxury of is just the complete absence of stress. I mean, they really, I mean, they're, they don't pay attention to time. That is, uh, I think, yeah. a crucial point, you know, like stress is a killer in so, it's so ki- many ways. Mm, mm. Oh, and wow. I mean, just even, even the fact that, you know, we have mortgages and we have, 
mm. you know, payments and we have <laughs> rent, all of those sort of things, you know, I, I think contribute to, to, you know, obviously just to, to stress and, you know, fitting in with society. Uh, they're, they, they're much more of a community. It's much more of a, a sense of community in these villages where Old everyone school, is part yeah. of it. Yeah. And they all yeah. take care of each other. So it's, it's just a different lifestyle. I think, you know, like um, definitely when you're actually living the old way of being out in the sunshine from, you know, the time you get up to the time you, you know, the end of the day, you're working outside and on the ground, in the land, you know, hands in the dirt, you know, all of that sort of stuff really, because I studied lots about circadian rhythms and how our, our eyes, you know, for example, you see sunshine early in the morning that resets your circadian rhythms. That's, you know, sets the clock going for the day. Your adenosine starts to build up over the day. You get tired at about 14 to 16 hours later. All of these things that we've, as, as modern day humans, we've taken ourselves out of that old way of living and put ourselves into this artificial, comfortable environment. But, you know, this is upsetting all our ancient DNA and that's why that's leading to problems. And then, of course, we've got these crazy lives with technology and the stuff we have to do and work. And just like, you know, stress what it does to the gut, the actual microbiota in the gut and, and uh, you know, how much it affects your gut health. And, of course, your gut health affects everything and, you know, your brain and your gut talk all the time and, you know, this all of this stuff. So I think if we can harness the cool stuff of the technology coming plus go back and start respecting as much as possible our ancient DNA and then eating like our ancestors did as best we can with these depleted soils and pesticides and glyphosates and God knows what's in the environment but doing the best we can, then we've got a good chance of actually staying around on this planet and still be running ultra marathons, you know, or at least marathons, you know, when you're, when you're 100 plus. I don't think that that's um, unrealistic anymore and that, that, that excites me. So I'm always learning on that front. <laughs> well, I want to be that guy that's running a marathon when he's 100. I mean, well, that's my, my mission now. Yeah. I'll keep you up on the on the latest stuff, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> what you need to be aware of. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't have any people that. say, you know, you, you must have arthritis or back pain or knee pain or joint pain. I mean, I, I don't have any of those things. I, I don't know why, but I just, I'm so happy I get up every morning and feel fresh. Oh, that's that's absolutely amazing. And, you know, like I think um, one of the, the amazing things with you is that like when I because I studied genetics and um, I looked at my genes and uh, actually doing really long bouts of exercise with my combination of genetics and my cardiovascular system, especially I've got a very weak uh, glycocalyx, which is the lining of your endothelial cells. And uh, bear with me, people. This means that if I do a lot of oxidative damage, which you do when, of course, when you're running, um, that's pretty damaging to my lining of my blood vessels. So I've got to be a little bit more careful and take a lot of antioxidant support. Um, but having that information means I can now, you know, take steps to mitigate that so that I can still do what I love to do. Um, and that's that's really key. You know, it's hitting stuff off at the pass. Um, and, and there is so much we can do now, and it's really, really exciting. But I've gone completely off topic because we, we should be talking about your book. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's very relevant because I think that some people are built to run far and slow and other people are built to run quick and short. 
Yeah, I, I do, and I agree. And it's not just about your fast twitch fibers; it is also about your methylation and your detox pathways, your hormonal pathways, your cardiovascular genes. All of these things do play a role, and that's why there's no one size fits all. Um, and that's why we not we don't all have to be Dean Carnassus and Pat Farmer. You know what I mean? Like. Not everybody is built for that or should be doing that, and that's okay as well. Um, and working out what is optimal for your health is the key thing. Um, having having role models like you guys, though, is just mind-blowing because it does lift your perception of what's, what the human body is capable of, and that's that. That, that leads the way for others then to follow and to test out their personal limits, you know. I think that's important too. Well, I mean, you know, it's many, I've run over 300 traditional marathons and, you know, you go to the Boston Marathon, you go to these big marquee marathons, the New York City Marathon, and you see people in their 70s and 80s that compared to their peers, <laughs> you know, are off the charts. Exactly. People say, well, you know, all that running has got to be bad for you. I, I don't subscribe to that. No. I mean, I've done, what, 70-odd thousand Ks, not as much as you have, mm. and I don't have any knee pain. I don't have any back pain because I keep my core strong, and that's despite having accidents on my, you know, with my back and having no discs. Um, it, 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 because I keep myself fit and healthy, you know, I have had some issues with hormones and kidney function, you know, because when we, you know, you would have had rhabdomyolysis, no doubt, a few times. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. doesn't minor, talk. minor. I, I, yeah, but I, I have, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think every, like ultra, every ultra runner has, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so things like that you've got to, you know, just keep an eye on and make sure you don't, um, you know, you, you look after your kidneys otherwise and, and you know, do things to mitigate the the damage because you know there are certain things that damage, but but life damages you, you know, like living this breathing is damaging, it's causing oxidative stress. So you've got to, you know, weigh up the pros and cons. But having an active physical life outdoors and having adventures and being curious and excited and being involved in the world that's got to be beneficial for you. So when do you when do you actually start with this this uh, big adventure with with Pat? It's uh, in, on the 14th of, of August, so oh, in about a week. Yep. Oh, fantastic. And it that, finished on the 24th, yeah. Oh, I'd have to get you both back on at the end of it to give me a rundown how they go. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> um, Dean, let's just pivot now and let's talk a little bit about your book because, uh, you, you know, you've brought out some incredible books over the years. You're world famous. You're a New York Times bestselling author. You've been named by the Times Magazine as one of the most hundred influential people of the world. Like, that's just insane. And now you've brought out Runners High. What's different about this story? Well, my first book was um, Ultra Marathon Man, and that was kind of a coming-of-age book. It was mm-hmm. about me learning about this crazy universe of ultra marathoning and people doing things that that I thought was impossible. And a runner's high is, you know, five books later and three decades later, mm-hmm. you know, how, how am I still doing it? And, you know, how have I changed? How has the sport of ultra marathoning changed? How has the world changed? And that was the book. And it was, it was also a very personal book in that, you know, you're, you're an ultramarathoner and you know, you know, ultramarathoners an island. If you start running these long distances, it impacts everyone in your life, including mm. your family, very much mm. so your family. So it, the book is, is, it's not really about running. It's funny. People read it and they say, wow, it's, it's, an, it's amazing, but it's, you know, it's, it's storytelling. And yeah. you and I are both good storytellers and, 
And that was what I, I just set out to, you know, write a book that was true and honest and it was enjoyable for the reader. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's doing really well in New Zealand, actually. And, oh, it's been uh, doing uh, well, well around the world, you know, like, and, and this one is, is very, you know, it's very real and genuine and raw and, you know, you, you, no holds barred, uh, no bars, what do you call it? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> how do you say that? Um, <laughs> It's it's very much a, a a real and it's a love letter basically like you say to 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 running, um, and you're actually revisiting the the Western States, a race that you've done how many times, thirteen times or something, but coming back uh, in your fifties, late fifties to do this again in two thousand and eighteen, um, and it, you know it was a bit of a a tough road, shall we say. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that part of the journey and, and why Western States is so special to you? Yeah, Western States, the Western States 100-mile endurance run is in uh, the Sierra Nevada of California, and it is it was the first 100-mile trail race, and I first did it back in 1994. So your first is always your best. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of this amazing experience that you have, and you, you just never forget it. I mean, I can recall literally conversations I had in that race in 1994. I can I can wow. recall what people were wearing. I can recall where I saw my parents. I mean, I recall it. It's like in, there's it gets impressed upon your mind somehow. Your synopsis just absorb it. Yep. So you know, going back, uh, you're right. After, after 13 goes at it, and you know, thinking, wow, is, is it going to be, is this going to be a stale experience or, you know, what is it going to be like? And it ended up being quite, quite magical and quite transformative in, in my career, as well as, you know, I learned a lot about uh, my father and my son. And I write a lot about that in, in the book and watching them crew for me and how, you know, things have changed over time. So, you know, I, I, it, it wasn't a good race. I mean, I don't want to be a spoiler, but I think, you know, good races don't make good stories. <laughs> Good races, you know, boring. you pop the champagne. Yeah, it's boring. You, you know, you high five at the finish, you have some champagne and all is, all is good. When things go to shit, that, that's an interesting story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've got a three books full of uh, things turning to shit. <laughs> and and I think it's beautiful that you, you know, your your dad, you know, you talk about your dad and what a crazy guy he is and um, your son coming and how your son um, was actually, like you didn't know whether he was up for crewing for you really because, you know, he's a young young man. Was he going to take this seriously? Because you, you need your crew to be on form. Um, how did he actually do when you when he was out there? Yeah, I mean, there's a saying uh, that you know in, in school you, you you know you you uh, you get the lesson and you take the test. In in parenting, you take the test and then you get the lesson. <laughs> so you know, every parent just like, boy, I screwed that one up, you know. And, and I didn't, you know, you you lose track of your kids, especially when they go off to uni. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out 
everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatarmaty.com and thanks very much for joining us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, as a parent, your kids grow up quicker than, than you adjust to them growing up. And right. you tend to always treat them as, you know, as, as the guy that needs his, <laughs> his diaper change kind of thing, even though he's, you know, he's 20 years old now. Yeah. And, you know, Nicholas is such a dichotomous individual because, you know, he complained to me when he came home from, you know, from uni that his, his roommates were such slobs. Like I said, you know, how do you like living with, with three other guys? He's like, oh, there's great. They're my best friends, but they're such slobs. And every, every time I walked past his room, I'd look in his room and it, it was like a Tasmanian devil had gone through it. I'm like, your room is such a mess. And, and so I, you know, when he volunteered to crew for me at Western States, um, claiming he knew, he knew how to do it, even though the last time he'd done it, he was nine years old, you know, he, he didn't do anything. And this time he was actually, you know, driving a vehicle. He was, he was like, the most important support I had during this hundred mile foot race. Wow. And I just thought he was going to, you know, it was going to be a horrible experience that he'd be irresponsible and <laughs> yeah. you know, he wouldn't show up and this and that. And mm. at least it was just, it was just the opposite. Oh, he my. was the most responsible, so much more responsible than my dad. So much more <laughs> capable. My dad's been doing this for 30 years and my son who's you know, never done it was so much better than my dad. Oh my but God. He, that's so cool. He showed me a, a new side of him that I'd never seen. And that's, and you know, that's any, any growing parent, up, I suppose, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think every parent that's it's got a kid is kind of nodding their head as they're hearing this because they can relate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think, you know, kids sometimes when you – when they can be a kid, they'll be a kid, you know, like they'll be the irresponsible, but when you actually put them on the, on the spot <laughs> and expect something from them, um, sometimes they come to the party if you're lucky <laughs> and actually, you know, step up to the line and actually do a good job. And obviously Nicholas did that. Yeah. I think, I think it's more, it's more the burden of the parent to, to accept and to, um, you know, realize that, that this, this, this little baby is self-sufficient and capable. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Let, you know, let go of the fact that you, you once were changed. They once were so dependent on you. They're not anymore. Like they're, they have their own life and they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they can navigate their, their way through the world. And it's pretty, it must be pretty hard to let go. What, what do you think it's been like for them having such a famous, crazy, extreme athlete dad? You know, was that hard for both of them? Um, you know, you know, um, because I can imagine like you were away a lot, you're doing dangerous, crazy, amazing things. Everybody knows you. You're extremely well known when you go anywhere. How did that affect the family in general? It's it's funny. You know, my kids have never known me as anything different, Lisa. I mean, they've, they've always known me as this, this ultra marathoner. And um, I've always, I've always, you know, they, it's always been a family uh, affair for me. So my, mm-hmm. you know, my kids have been, They've been to Australia. They've been to uh, Europe multiple times, South America, you know, all over North America. So we, yeah, I've taken them with me. 
Uh, nice. You know, when I ran, I once ran 50 marathons in all the, the 50 U.S. states in 50 days. Yep. And okay. they were along. Yeah. And I mean, how many kids, you know, my son was nine, my daughter was 11. How many kids ever, you know, how many people ever get to see all of the, you know, all of the states of America, let alone when you're, you know, you're that age. So I, I think that, you know, they just accept me for what I am. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, when, it, it, sometimes I get the fan thing where people come up to me like at a mm-hmm. restaurant, like, oh, you know, can we sign this or that? And mm-hmm. it's all, it's always good people, Lisa. It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm really like the people that come up to me in an airport and say, hey, you know, I really admire you. Can we do a selfie? They're like mm-hmm. decent people. Like I, I go want to have a, you know, a glass of wine with this, this guy or this, yep. this lady. And um, so it's not like I'm a rock star or a movie star where I have all these crazy people chasing around. <laughs> I, the, the people that chase me around are like my peers, people I really admire myself. They're other runners and they're other, yeah, yeah, athletes. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I, something I've always admired about you too was that you always gave every single person time of day, you know, like despite. And I mean, when we did that, that, that speaking gig together last year on the Gold Coast, um, I was really nervous to be, to be honest, because I was like, I'm on the stage with someone who is a superstar. And I'm like little me, right? And um, I'm I'm sort of like, how the hell am I going to be on stage with you? Because no one's going to be interested in what the hell I've got to say when you're standing next to, you know, it's it's, it's like, um, you know, some superstar, and you're 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 standing on the stage with them, and you've got to do. And it was quite difficult in a way because everybody wanted to, you know, like the line for your books was just like two hours long. The line for mine was like two people long <laughs> oh no I, I, you carried yourself beautifully i thought we i thought together we were a great pair we, we kind of uh we complimented yeah. oh we did yeah no you were yeah and you were a gentleman was... you like you would always throw to me and pull you know make sure that i was included which was fantastic um but you, you, i saw you like you take the time for every single person you are present with everybody you know and that's a really hard thing to to do it's not so hard in a book signing but it's bloody hard in the middle of a hundred miler or a hundred k when you're half dead dragging yourself into a checkpoint and somebody wants a signature from you or a selfie and you're trying to just get your stuff together (laughs) Um, and it's actually you know i found i found that difficult on my level of stuff you know like just you know, because like, when I ran through New Zealand, I found that really difficult. I'd have people coming out on the road with me all the way through. And in the in the preparation, I thought that would be cool. Uh, in the in the reality of the day-to-day grind, as you know, when you're – because, you know, I was running, you know, up to 70 k's a day, um, I was in a world of pain and hurt most of the time and just struggling to keep going and very, very, you know, breakable if you like. And then you'd have people coming out and they spend maybe two, three, four, five Ks with you and they're full of beans and they want you to be full of beans and full of energy and give them the greatest advice in that five Ks while you're half dead. I found that really, really hard because I'm actually, believe it or not, quite introverted. And when I'm running, I, I, I you know, I go in. <clears throat> how, how do you deal with that? You know, how do you deal with that without being, because you don't want to be rude. You don't want to be, you know, disrespectful to anybody, God forbid. But there were times on that run when I just literally had to say to my crew, I can't, I can't cope right now. I'm in a world of pain. I, I need some space. And they'd have to sort of politely say, um, sorry, she's not in a good space. You know, how did you, how do you deal with that? 
Yeah, well, it's it's so uh, it's amazing that we're having this conversation because <laughs> there are not a lot of people that can relate exact you know intimately yeah. to what you just said because most people are will never be in that position but you know what what i experienced exactly what you've experienced you know when running 50 marathons in 50 days or running i ran across america as well yep when you're in a world of hurt you, you know you're you've got this protective shell on and you don't want to be social and then you know mm-hmm. i'd have groups of like college kids show up with with my book like oh my god carno you're such a great influence and we love your book and let's order a pizza and you know i just feel like i just want to crawl into a like a a mummy bag and hide and you just got to turn it on you've got to step up and it's just yeah i mean they're so happy to see you that they and they want to see you on they don't want to see you you know like this groveler just dying they they, you know they want to see you strong and and engaging and it it's it's really it's it's really tough sometimes yeah it's definitely really tough sometimes yeah and that's why you know i admire that you you managed to do that most of the time you 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 turn it on no matter in what shape you were um be able to pull it out whereas to be honest a couple of times i just couldn't i just like you know, like I am done, guys. I remember on the run through New Zealand at one time. I was this was not with um, fans. This was a I was running for uh, Canteen. You know, the cancer of kids with cancer. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And great, I great was, yeah, I, I was in a miserable world of hurt one night after you know running for God knows how long. I've been out there twelve hundred k's or something at this stage, and. I had a, a 13-year-old boy was sent into my room to give me a pep talk who who had ca- he was dying of cancer or you know had cancer um and he was there to give me a pep talk because I was crying <laughs> and I wasn't <laughs> able to you know get up and run the next day and he came in and told me how much it meant to him and to his his peers and what you know what it meant to him that I was undertaking this this journey and um that was a real lesson and like, oh, get over yourself. You know, you're not <laughs> dying of cancer here. You're not a 13-year-old with cancer. You just have to run another 70 case tomorrow. So what? It's <laughs> 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 a good perspective. Um, and I did get up the next morning and go again, you know, and that was like, yeah, come on, you know. <laughs> um, so funny, some funny but really touching moments, you know, where you're, you are a human, and um, it's it's very easy, you know, when you go to a speaking engagement or whatever, to 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 be what you're meant to be, a professional. But it's bloody hard when the chips are down and you're in the middle of a race to do that. So I really always did admire that about you. And for you, like, and what I also admired was that it didn't matter whether you came first or last in a race. And you know, with the with the Western states, you know, it was a struggle. You never shied away from the fact that um, today might not be your day and you're having a bad day and you weren't embarrassed about that, you know. Like I've had races like Pat, you know, with Pat Farmer's a classic one, you know, in the in the middle of the, the big red run where I was just falling to pieces. Um, I had, I was, you know, going through some um, personal trauma trauma at the time and my back went out and I you know I was just in a bad place <laughs> and and you know I was embarrassed because I had failed at a race at that stage I was in that mindset um now I look back and go well you know give yourself a break but <laughs> how do you cope with that like how do you know when you don't do what the fans expect you to do on that day 
you know, it's to me, it's it's just your it's your ego, and it and totally you know, ego. <laughs> yeah, there's such an ego thing, and you know, it it and it it. Let's be honest. I mean, when when you're a public figure, your failures are public. Like yeah. you don't fail in you know in silence Quiet. and yeah. just kind of DNF and you know walk away and live to race another day i mean you dnf and people are taking pictures of you and yeah, exactly. you know it's on the internet like oh this guy cried yeah but you know in the end i just what what can you do other than just do your best you're human uh all of us can only just do our best so my commitment now is is like uh, when i stand on the starting line i'm i'm gonna give it my all like there's i'm not gonna leave anything on this course like i'm just gonna be the best that dean can be i'm gonna try my hardest and the only way i'm gonna fail is if i don't try my hardest and don't give it my all oh, I love and it. when you go with that mindset it's it's you know no matter what happens you're you're, you're still you're doing yourself a service yeah and you're a winner still like then th- this is such a powerful message i think for young people listening because often we don't even try because we don't want to risk embarrassing ourselves and risk failure and risk looking like an idiot um and what you were saying is you know just forget your ego sit that to the side and go i'm going to give it all today and if it isn't enough it isn't enough and that's fine i'll learn something out of it and it's it, it's a journey that i'm on and i'm i'm going to be the best i can be today and that's such a powerful story of 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 perspective and resilience and leaving the ego at the door um that yeah uh, you know i did did struggle with that when i was younger because i had some pretty spectacular failures <laughs> and they really hurt you know they really hurt when you take a long time to sort of go do i want to do that again you know in the public eye so to speak um and you've just always just been if it was a good day, it was a good day and on to the next one, you know, if, if it was a bad day. Yeah. I mean, I think bold failures build character. I have to be Absolutely. honest, you know, I mean, success builds character, but so does failure in, in, in a more profound way. And, you know, and I, I lean into to every uh, emotion that I have, either success or failure, um, you know, sorrow, regret, all those things that happen when you, when you have a, a bad race or a bad day. You know, those emotions, I want that full emotional range. It, wow. it just makes you uh, a, a better human, I think. It, you know, not to shy, shy away from those deep lows where you're just crushed. Um, you know, I, I think that people that try to avoid that uh, are, are really missing out. Yeah, wow. it, yeah, it's painful and it hurts, but it, it, it builds your character in a, in a profound way. Wow, that is so, that is so uh, deep, actually. Because, you know, we're often taught, like, push down your emotions and keep them in a box and be a professional and keep going and, you know, keep calm and carry on type thing, which it has its place as far as, you know, when you're in the middle of a race, you've got to keep, you know, your shit together and compartmentalize stuff and be able to function. But I think it's also very important to experience the pain and to, you know, the grief, the pain, the whatever you're going through and actually, and the happiness, you know, that's another thing I never, I would get to the end of a race and it didn't matter how well I'd done and what I'd had just achieved and how difficult it was. I remember like doing one in the Himalayas and a friend coming up to me afterwards and it was 222k race and, you know, extreme altitude, had a hell journey to get there, all sorts of obstacles. I get to the finish line and he's just like, wow, you're amazing. It's incredible. I can't believe what you just did. I, you know, if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. And I just went, ah, oh, no, so-and-so was faster and there's a longer race, <laughs> and, you know. 
You know what I mean? And I didn't integrate it. And he just went, oh, for crying out loud, can't you just – can't you just take this one to the bank and actually bank it as being a success and a huge win? And I really took that to heart. And now I pat myself on the back when I do even a little thing good because it, it reinforces that neural pathway in my brain that tells me this was great because I just got a little reward rather than you're never good enough. Because that's what I was telling myself before. No matter what I did, it wasn't enough. And now I've flipped that script around to go – Hey, you managed to do up your shoelaces and get to the end of the road today. Well done, you know. <laughs> and it's yeah, a no, flip I, of that, you know. It is completely, and I, I think uh, you know, my son said something to me that was uh, along that same vein during the Western States. You know, I said, Nicholas, yeah, I don't know, this is maybe at mile sixty or seventy of a hundred mile run. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, my 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 race is crap. Like I'm I'm not having a good race. And he, he looked at me and said, Dad, you know, you're running a hundred miles. To most people, that's enough. Yeah. You know, and it put it in perspective yeah. that, you know, although I'm um, with all these super elite athletes, you know, yeah. doing this, that to most people that hear about anyone running a hundred miles, they don't, they don't care if you came in first or last or just holding exactly. a hundred miles. <laughs> they don't, they don't care if your time was 15 hours or 50 hours. They're just so blown away. Yeah, yeah. Blown away by it. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that puts it because when we hang out, because, you know, you are the sum total of the people that you hang out with, you know, the top five as the saying goes, and that can have a negative uh, connotations as well as positive. It can be the fact that you think if you're hanging out with the five top guys in the world, then you are going to (laughs) be not looking too good. You know what I mean? Uh, But if you're hanging out with uh, just the average person and you're doing something this long and this incredible, for most people, that's just like, huh? Humans can do that, you know? Like I always like I did a speaking engagement yesterday in Auckland and the people were like, but that's humanly impossible. Again, is it actually it isn't, you know, and there's actually thousands of us that do this stuff. And they're like, What? <laughs> you know, I don't get it. And um uh, I think I mean that was a, I mean that was the same reaction I had when I heard about someone running a hundred miles, I thought yeah, there, hold it. There's, there's like, there's trickery. I thought there was trickery. I thought there's, okay, yeah. there's hotels or there's campgrounds or something. And it's, <laughs> you know, and the guy said the gun goes off and you just run and you stop when you when you cross the finish line. I, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it <laughs> until you did it. <laughs> yeah, until you did it. exactly. Yeah, and you built yourself up to it. And this is a, this is a thing. You know, it's it's a culmination of so much, and it's that journey, isn't it? So I think what we're talking about is it being this incredible life journey that you go on within an ultra marathon and within the training of an ultra marathon. It's like living an entire life. In short, you know, like you're going through the, the highs and the lows and the, the everything in between and it's long and it's hard and it's awesome and it's amazing and you meet incredible people. It's everything that, that you go through in life, but just on an intensive time scale, if you like. Um, and it's just a, a, a beautiful uh, experience to go through especially with the you know, the value of hindsight. Sometimes in the middle of it, it you know, mile 70 <laughs> of a hundred mile race. It's not looking too flash. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, to, to that point, you know, when, when we reflect back on moments that we remember, you know, at least me, it's, it's not the victories. It's not the crossing the finish line first to me. It's always that time where I, I thought I'm done. Like yeah. th- this is it. I can't, I can't get out of this chair. I'm trashed. And somehow getting through that really, really tough moment 
and carrying on, those are, those are, that's what sticks with you. It's, it's, yep. it's, it's pretty weird. At least with me, those are the moments oh, I remember too. when I reflect back on my career. It's, it's those horrible moments that I somehow persisted. And you, you, yeah. And you're so, you know, when you look back, you're proud of yourself that you, and you know that when, you know, one of the biggest values, and I've seen this with, you know, my story with mum and, and unfortunately recently with my dad, is that when the shit hits the fan, like it did in those two situations, I knew that I could step up to do everything within my power and that I was a fighter. I knew that I was a fighter and that I knew that I would fight till the bitter end, whatever the outcome was. And that's a really good thing to know about yourself because you need to know that when things are down, what what character do you have? Who are you when, you know, all the niceties of our world are gone? Um, you know, what are you capable of? And you learn to be able to f- function when everyone else is gone, you know? They just, and that's a really powerful lesson that ultra marathoning teaches you, I think, in decades of this sort of hard work. Um, and that's why athletes, I think, you know, um, you know, whether you're employing athletes or you're going into business with other athletes, you're more likely to have someone who's willing to fight through the tough times than if you just get someone who hasn't ever experienced any sort of discomfort in their life. Um, then they're not liable to be able to push through and be as resilient. I think that's what I'm trying to say. No, and I agree. I agree with you completely. And I, you know, I often wonder if 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 people have those character, you know, those values, and that's mm-hmm. what uh, draws them to ultra running, uh, or if ultra running instills those values. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember coming home from a run one time, and my neighbor uh, was fetching up the, the morning paper and he was he saw me you know running back to my house and i'd run i don't know i'd run like 30 or 40 kilometers and he said to me you know do, doesn't running hurt and i said to him it, it does if you if you're doing it right <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me like you hold it i try to i do everything to avoid you know difficult Pain. things and, yeah. hurt. and i'm like i embrace it yeah. so it's just a different mindset yeah, and, and, and if you if you have the mindset of wanting to always avoid all sorts of pain in life, then you're not going to experience very much. And when the when you're in a tough situation, you won't be able to cope because you won't have experienced any sort of pain. So the more that you had to struggle, the more strength you develop from that. You know, the old proverb, strength comes from struggle, struggle uh, is, is valid in all walks of life. So unfortunately, this is the way our world is set up. If you seek comfort all the time, time you're actually going to be in deeper shit somewhere along the way and not able to help yourself because you haven't learned to to fight and you haven't learned to push through and to deal with a certain level of discomfort and a certain level of pain um and and i think that's a really really valuable thing to do like every day i try to experience some sort of discomfort or pain whether it's cold whether it's pushing myself mentally you know, intellectually, whether it's pushing myself physically, doing some intense, extreme exercise or whatever the case may be, every day I try to do something that either scares the shit out of me or pushes me in some way because then I know that I haven't gone backwards that day. You know, I've, I've probably learned something and gone forward and I've, I've strengthened my body and my mind in some sort of way, shape or form. Yeah, but I mean, I think you're you're an exception. I think most people just try to take the path of least resistance and avoid mm. 
avoid difficult things and avoid pain. I, I mean, I think we've, we've built our world around um, comfort. I mean, having every comfort available and every, you know, removing as much discomfort and pain as we can. And I think in a way we're so comfortable, we're miserable. Exactly. We, that's exactly the problem because by, by, by actually, you know, experiencing a little bit of pain by doing your press-ups, going for your run, doing your pull-ups, whatever the case is, being outside and digging the garden and doing stuff that, that is a bit unpleasant, it, it actually makes your body stronger and it makes you mentally stronger. And when you, if we all sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day, every day and eat chips, what are we going to ha- what's going to happen to us? We're going to destroy our health. We're going to just be so, and this is, you know, I think I'm, I'm scared for the, the, the younger generation that they haven't actually, you know, we grew up, you know, we're roughly the same age. You're a couple of years older. Um, grew up in the 70s where we were, you know, we were out, outside doing something all day, every day. We came in at nighttime for a feed and went to bed, you know. That was our childhood. Um, and that was just a beautiful way to grow up. You know, we were, we were cold, we were hungry, we were tired, we were, we were happy. <laughs> and, and Well, you're right. And we viewed extra, I mean, we were playing, right? It was, yeah. we were exercising. I remember riding my bike, you know, just everywhere. Yeah. And I never too. thought, I never thought of it as exercise. It was play. So, yeah. you know, kids don't play that way anymore, unfortunately. No, and it's it's yeah. a it's a scary thing for them because we need to teach them because again it goes back to sort of respecting our ancient DNA and that's what I think that's another thing that ultra marathoning does or you know even trekking or adventuring in any sort of way shape or form is that we've come from stock that used to have to build their own houses cut down their own trees do their you know chase animals whatever the case was just to survive. And then we now have it all laid on for us. We're in lovely houses. We've got light all day, all night. We've got food at every street corner. And, our, you know, our ancient DNA isn't just set up for that, you know, and this is where all the problems come and, the, you know, we could go on a complete rant, which I often do on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, coming back to your story and your runner's high, you know, and um, – what do you think now, looking back at this incredibly long and prolific career and this incredible journey that you've been on so far, and I do think that you've still got miles and miles to go, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way on this 30-odd-year journey that you've been on? What are the biggest takeaways from ultramarathon running? You know, I think that it, it's the little moments that are the the most priceless it's it's not the moments where uh, you know you're <clears throat> me like I, I write about meeting with first lady michelle obama wow yeah that was great and it was you know and it was amazing and you know incredible and everything else but you know it's the little moments of you know having a moment with a, a crew member or your family that you just you reflect on and laugh about so it's 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 those it's those things to me that are most priceless and you know, the other thing with ultra marathoning um, that you know, I, I've certainly learned is that it, it's a journey. You know, to me, it's it's uh, it's a passion and it's something I've committed my life to. Mm. And you know, staying true to the the person you are, uh, there, there's value in that. It, even though it's just running, Lisa, it's nothing hugely intellectual. I'm not winning Nobel prizes. <laughs> uh, I'm just a runner, but I'm that's who I am, and yeah. I'm I'm staying true to that. 
I, yeah. you know, I'm going to, and I'm going to do that to the grave. Yeah. And I think that in, in that there's a simplicity and, and I think there's some magic in that. Oh, absolutely. You know what you were born to do, you know, and you, you say it's only running, but actually you're a teacher, you're an author, you're a, you're an, a person who empowers others. You're doing all of that in the framework of running. So, you know, you do a heck of a lot more than just running from A to B, you know. <laughs> You've influenced well, an entire generation worldwide, I hope you know. <laughs> Without well, you, ultramarathon running would not be where it is today. So um, <laughs> I think you're doing a little bit more than just running yourself, you know. And this is the power of books and this is the power of storytelling and it's the power of having such a, a, a unique character that, that, it's so charismatic and draws people in. Um, and those are all the, the, the things that you've, you've managed to take, you know, what you could have just been an, a, a, a silent runner who just did his thing and went away again, but you've chosen to share your journey with the world. And that, that's just gold because that just gives people an insight into what they can do. It's all about when I, when I read your books, I'm getting something for it from me you know, and, and everybody who's reading those books, it's actually, yes, we talk, we're hearing Dean's story, but we're actually going, huh, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could try that. Oh, yeah, I've experienced that. Oh, yeah, you know, this is the conversations that are going on in people's head when they read those stories. And that's why they have such an intimate connection with you and why, you know, even though it's weird when people come up and ask you for a, an autograph or whatever, they feel like they know you and they do know you, you know. Because yeah, well, I mean, I got a message from a guy. Yeah, no, I mean, every time I think, wow, I'm, you know, this is really laborious writing these books, and maybe it's my last book. I mean, I got a message from a guy a couple of days ago, and he said, uh, you know, I was planning on reading a couple chapters of your new book before I went to bed, <laughs> and he said, five hours later, I finished the last page, <laughs> and then he said, and then I got up, I just had to go running. <laughs> wow then the book worked you know if it motivated him to read the whole thing in one sitting and get up and go running then it's worthwhile absolutely and you know when you read i'm, I'm i i read books voraciously and the list is long i'm usually reading about 10 books at a time and when i'm reading i am distilling the world's top people in their entire experience i get to absorb within the, the space of 10, 15 hours of, you know, of reading their book. Uh, that's, that's a good return on investment. <laughs> if I want to download someone's experience or knowledge or whatever the case is, um, then, I, you know, reading books is just such a powerful way to do it and listening to podcasts as well, you know, because that's another way that you can do it without having to, you know, you can be out and about and driving or running or whatever and absorbing some new information. And I think we're just so lucky to have access to all of this. It's just incredible. Yeah, no, it is. And, and it's a pity if you, if you don't take advantage of that, because I mean, they're, you know, I mean, you're, you're so wise and educated. I mean, the conversation we had before, the podcast, it's, it's amazing how it's amazing your, your knowledge base and how have you developed your knowledge base? Well, you've absorbed um, the, the best of the best and what they're thinking and the research they've done. Exactly. And that's it. It's all you're doing, you know, is you're absorbing it from the best scientists, the best doctors, the best athletes, the best executives, the best business people. And then you get to share it, teach it. You know, this is the other thing, you know, if I learn something in the morning, I'm teaching it in the afternoon. 
usually it's to my poor husband or my mother, but, you know, <laughs> I'm, te- I'm teaching it. <laughs> and then I, I often, you know, build into my programs or it, it comes out in my webinars or whatever. And, and you're basically just regurgitating stuff that you've learned, but it, it, it's powerful when you put it into the perspective of your experience and you change it, you learn it, you, you teach it, you learn it, you teach it. And that's just such a cool way to share and, and, you know, get that information out there into the world and actually help the world on your little corner of the, you know, the earth and what you're doing. And that's what I live to do. And that's the power of what your books are all about. So, yeah, I, I, I commiserate with you. Like getting a book out is a bloody long, hard journey. <laughs> People don't realise how hard it is to write a book. I'd Give me a bloody 100 mile any day over writing a book. In fact, give me 10 hundred miles over any day because <laughs> it's such a long process, isn't it? But Well, man. I mean, I, I do a lot of the my writing while I'm running, actually. So wow. I, I dictate into my phone now because, I mean, you, you know, we have some of our clearest thoughts while yeah. we're running. Yeah. And I, I always, I, before I used to think, God, why didn't I write that down? There was, what, what did, how did that go again? Yeah, and yeah, now yeah. I just, I just dictate um, as I'm running and then come home, put in an earbud and just type up my, uh, my notes. Oh man, I've, I have done variations of that. Like I've, you know, I, I do end up stopping like on my runs and just writing a quick note. I haven't actually written, you know, dictated. I have to start adapting that because maybe that'll make it easier because you're damn right. When I'm actually at the computer, the distractions are just a hundred, you know, there's a hundred windows open. There's a notifications coming all the time and I really find it hard to sit down and write. Um, and so it is sometimes best if you could, if you could just dictate into something. So I'll have to give that a crack next time. Yeah. I'm I mean, uh, I think, you know, I mean, motion stirs emotion. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 it does. And it clears the mind. You know, that's one thing I miss now that I'm not doing the ultras personally at the moment um, is that singularity of purpose, you know, that that cleanness the mind had before of this one goal, you know, and I'm watching my husband's preparing for a 100 miler in November and just watching it, everything in this whole day, and, you know, he has the luxury of doing this because, you know, we haven't got kids and stuff, but everything in his whole day, is centered around his training and getting to that hundred miler in the best shape that he can. And that singularity of purpose, if you like that, almost that selfishness, but having that one thing that you're doing, Oh, I miss that. I miss that. You know, it's funny because I've, uh, I have friends that are mountain climbers and we compare notes in that regard and they say the same thing. Yeah. They say, you know, life is fren- frenetic and we're moving in all these different directions. It's crazy. But he's like, but when we're preparing for the, you know, for summit quest, there, you know, that we have a mission. <laughs> yeah. There's this, we, we get to the summit, like everything we're doing, you know, it is focused on reaching the summit and there's clarity and that you're right. And that singularity of purpose, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And this is this clarity that I, you know, really, really find, I think a lot of us are struggling with because, you know, like I don't, you know, I don't have the luxury of that sort of clarity at the moment and that singular thing, because I'm building businesses and looking after mom and doing a hundred bloody things that I do. Um, and, it, and, and, and my brain never gets that quiet singular thing. It does when I go for a run, but it's a short run now. And so it's not long enough to actually to get that feeling, you know, and I'm not on a on a athletic mission. And you know, okay, it's it's the time in life and it's where I'm at and and that's fine. But geez, it's hard sometimes, you know, just not to be able to have that freedom of living just for yourself and being 
actually dedicated to one thing. Um, and, and I find that very, very hard sometimes, you know, uh, especially with all the, the thousand things that are coming at you when you run businesses. That's, that's uh, why I run, Lisa. I haven't worked that one out. I haven't organised myself very well, have I, Dean? <laughs> oh, Dean, you've been absolutely wonderful today. I don't want to take up any more of your time in lockdown because, goodness knows, you've got lots to do there, probably. <laughs> no, no, it's an exciting day because I think I get my, uh, it's my fifth COVID test since showing oh, up. So every, wow. every couple of days they show up, they knock on your door and, you get to meet a, a swab up your nose. And I'm like, I've been vac- fully vaccinated. You've tested me now five times. I don't think I'm going to get it. I'm, oh, I've been in a hotel God. room by myself for two weeks. Yeah, like, come on. Where's yeah. it going to come from? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It must be very frustrating. But, hey, two two more days and you're in freedom, and then you're going to be able to run and run and run with a very run a cool miles. person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with a very cool mate. So give my greetings to Pat Farmer. He's a legend, um, and uh, I've got to get him back on. Actually, you guys should come on together at the end of your run that'd be just fabulous mum is sitting over in the chair waiting for me to take her to the gym so i'd better get my bum into gear um dean thank you so much for your time i i I love you to bits i think you're amazing i think your books are awesome and what you've done for the world of ultra marathoning and beyond is just incredible thank you for your time today well the feeling is completely mutual lisa thank you and um, i look forward to the time we can share some footsteps together again oh that would be absolutely gold That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com. 